0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today we'll look at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Please turn to these verses in your Bibles. And with his message is our pastor, Robert Elliot.
1: And so, so far we're seeing that justification is not only apart from our works and apart from our religious rituals. But third point, justification is also apart from law-keeping. Justification is apart from law-keeping. Verses 13 to 17. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Oh yes, justification is apart from law keeping. And these verses 13 to 17 present four wonderful things about God's justification of sinners. You ready? Going to go through them fast. Number one. The promises of justification. The promises of justification are three in these, in the New Testament. The promises of justification. Number one, Abraham would be the world's father and the world's means of blessing. The promise that Abraham would be the world's father is a Genesis 17, four to six, if you're taking notes. And the promise that Abraham would also be the world's means of blessing is Genesis 12, verses one to three. Promise three tied into justi- or promise two tied into justification. Christ to be the world's redeemer. The promise was made that Jesus Christ would be the world's only redeemer. That's in Galatians three sixteen. Third promise tied into justification. Justification to be possible. God promised that justification would be possible. We see that in verse thirteen. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the first point here is that there are promises attendant to justification, and there are three. Abraham would be the world's father and the world's means of blessing. Second, Christ would be the world's redeemer. And third, justification is possible. Now from the promises of justification, we go to the basis of justification. And we talked about that this morning. The basis of justification is faith, not law-keeping. The basis of you being declared and acquitted, declared righteous and acquitted before God in the courtrooms of heaven, is not based on you keeping the law because you can't. He who transgresses is one point of the law, transgresses in all of the law, right? The basis of your justification is faith, not law-keeping. The basis of justification is faith, not law-keeping. Genesis fifteen six says that the promises of justification we've seen those the basis of justification now let's go to the third point the answer to why law keeping doesn't justify sinners why is it that law keeping does not justify sinners well because faith would be useless if law keeping could justify you then your faith would be useless and justification would be impossible if law keeping led to justification then none of us would get justified It says no one keeps 100% of God's law 100% of the time. No one, except Jesus. We see this in verses 14 and 15 of Romans 4. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. What are we seeing? To recap, the promises of justification, Abram would be the world's father. He would be the means of blessing. Christ to be the world's redeemer. Justification to be possible. That's the promises of justification. The basis of justification is faith in the finished work of Christ. Why law-keeping doesn't justify? Because it would make faith useless. And no one would get justified if it was based on our keeping of the law. Fourth, The answer to why faith does justify sinners. Why does faith justify sinners? Simple. To be consistent with grace. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 4. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. You are justified, declared innocent in the courtroom of heaven as you trust Christ because it's consistent with grace. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? So that no one would boast. There'll be no boasting in heaven. We will just be recipients of grace. We will praise the Father, praise the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit forever for God's grace. What's the answer to why faith does justify sinners? To be consistent with grace. Second, to ensure the possibility of justification. God's grace is what he is free to do because of Jesus' cross. God's grace is what he's free to lavish upon the believer because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. God's riches at Christ's expense. Why does faith justify? To recap, to be consistent with grace, to ensure the possibility of justification. And third, to realize the promise of Abraham's fatherhood to many who would believe of the Gentiles and the Jews. We're almost finished Romans 4's study on justification being illustrated. The chapter, to recap, the chapter has presented three things that justification is not based on. Justification is apart from works. Justification is apart from religious rituals. And justification is apart from law-keeping. Justification is apart from works, apart from religious rituals, and apart from law-keeping. So what in the world is justification based on then? Our fourth and final point, justification is based on faith alone the reformers who protested Roman Catholicism in the 1500s, Luther being the chief spokesman, Christ alone, grace alone, scripture alone, faith alone. Justification is based on faith alone. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25 to close out chapter 4. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had he had spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And he and being fully assured. Of what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, also, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, it was written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. There in verse 25, I hit on that this morning. Jesus Christ was delivered up to the cross because we're sinners. We're transgressors. If we were not transgressors, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. Second part of that verse is Jesus Christ was bodily resurrected from the dead because his payment for sin was satisfactory and the basis of God justifying the believer in him. If we could not be justified by the finished work of Christ, believing in Jesus, God the Father would never have raised him from the dead. But God the Father raised him from the dead to show that his payment for our sin was a full satisfactory atoning payment, a propitiation for your sins and mine. That's stunning and gorgeous. Two things I want to show you in these verses. Number one, faith's object. That's verses 18 to 21. Faith's object. Watch it. God, God's promise, and God's power. Abraham was justified because he had his faith in God, in God's promise,
0: and in God's power. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Happy New Year! This is Pastor Nicholas, and we want to thank you for listening to you talk this past year, and we hope that you continue. I serve as the U-Pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to start a new series on being an influencer. And this is a term that's used so much today, as we have many influences through social media, uh, people being followed, people being liked, people being loved, and and the list goes on. Um, Whether it's Instagram, YouTube, movies... We are constantly surrounded by influencers. And, you know, most young people today, they have a favorite influencer, someone who they follow watching YouTube videos, and it goes the list goes on. The world is full of people who want their voices to be heard. Sometimes people choose to use their voices to sell products, but some of the people we mentioned use their voices to do something much bigger. So what is influence? It's a way of impacting the way other people think, believe, and behave. Being influenced by someone else isn't necessarily a bad thing. As we will look through God's Word and we will see how that's not a bad thing. But in today's society, we have so many influencers who are doing good and so many influencers who are doing bad. And as we consider that, there are many who are listening to broadcasts of a young person who you know, you follow, you want to hear from them. You know, Have you ever found a new favorite food because someone suggested it? Think about it. You see an advertisement, you see this person who likes it. And because you follow them, you want to do it. In today's society today, we have many who do unboxing toys. I have a nine-year-old daughter, and she watches people sometimes unbox toys. And this is an influence because she sees the toys. She sees things that she may want. Again, have you discovered even a, a show that you may like because someone else has said this would be a good thing to watch? Again, we are being influenced in everyday life on things to do. I want to share a story about Dr. Ignaz Semelis-Weiss. And you may not know this game, but let me give you the real-life example of someone who had the influence of others and the world for the better. Ignaz was a doctor in Hungary in the 1840s who noticed something really tragic. People would come to the hospital sick, injured, or to have a baby only to catch an unrelated disease, which would sometimes result in their death. After a lot of study and research, he decided there must have been tiny particles of disease traveling from one sick or dead patient to another, causing them to get sick. He was right. Of course, those particles were what we know today as to be germs. Dr. Ignaz implemented a strict rule about hand washing in between patients, and as a result of a simple but revolutionary idea, the death rate of the hospital started to drop. The idea was saving lives. Here's the deal, though. Ignaz was a smart, but he was not very effective influencer. He was not known to get really angry with anyone who didn't follow his hand-washing procedures. He was convinced his ways was the only way to stop the spread of sickness and disease. He spoke down to the other doctors as if it was their fault. People were getting sick and dying. Instead of winning awards and saving countless lives, Ignaz lost his job at the hospital. Doctors stopped following the hand-washing protocol and the death rate went up. So again, as we think about this, we have to understand just as he may have had a good idea, the way he talked to people was not liked and afterwards he people didn't like him and they stopped following him and he lost his job. The question for you this morning is this: Would you rather have an audience or a message? You see, Ignaz had an important message to share, but he lost his audience. So that is the question for me and you. Would we rather just have the audience with no message? You see, it's not an easy answer to this question. If you have to choose between having a message or an audience, things get complicated. Some influencers have the attention of millions, but struggle to identify the message that matters most to them. Then we have people like Dr. Ignaz, His message was clear and important, but he lost his chance to influence people. The great influences throughout history were great influences for two reasons. Their message was meaningful. Their motivation was about more than just themselves. You see, some influencers use their voices to sell merchandise or diet shakes, but the world needs more than influencers who know how to use their voice or selflessly spread a message that matters. And today we want to look at God's words. We think of influencers. We want to talk about our own lives. Because I think that we need to understand that we are influencers, whether we know it or not, especially for us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We are an influence. And the question is, are we destroying the message that we have? Are we, do we have an audience that are looking at us for that message? You see, if you know Jesus, you already have a message that matters, the message of Jesus. But sometimes, even when we have a message that matters, the message we're trying to share with our words is outshined by the message we're sharing with our action. It's hard to take someone seriously who talks about helping others but doesn't actually do it. It's hard to believe someone who doesn't have proof It's hard to trust someone. intentions are good when they don't treat others well. You see, as we think of the Bible, we think of the book of James, and we are shown very clearly from the book of James in uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, and it talks about how we need to recognize that our works and our actions need to line up. And let me just make it very clear because we need to make sure that we understand that is not works that gets us to heaven, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we should have good works, and people should see that in our lives. And this is what it says, on verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have Christ, but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister was out clothes and lacks daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. You see, these two go hand in hand. Again, as we think about being an influencer, what good is it for me to say that I have Jesus Christ in my life, but yet I'm not willing to help people in need? Or what good is it for me to say that I have Jesus Christ in my life, but I cuss and carry on and do things that I know don't add up to what Jesus would want me to do? You see, we need to understand, as James is telling us, that we need to have both. Because of our faith, we will have good works. And not because of our works, we are saved. We need to make that very clear. Because we don't want someone to think that just because someone has good works, they are saved. Because there are many people who do great things. You know, there are many people who provide to the poor. Who sometimes look like the great saviors because of things they do but they don't have Christ. And that's why the faith is, is first in our lives. We need to understand that, that is the first thing, that, that how things fall into place. You say, if you say you follow Jesus, but your life doesn't match up with your message, your faith isn't really everything it could or should be. If you follow Jesus, your life should match your message. And that is what we want to start as we think of this upcoming year. What type of influencer are you going to be? Are you going to be a person that people see both? That they're going to see because of your faith, they see good works? Are you going to be a person that has an audience and because of your faith in Jesus Christ, people are, you're making an influence that a, and people want to be a part of that? Or are you going to be a person that says, I know Jesus Christ? But because you don't, it doesn't line up with what scripture says and you do your own thing, people, you're going to lose every piece of influence that you have. And the message that you have is going to be completely worthless. You see, as Christians, we have a message and the message is very clear that we are to become more like Christ every day. And so I challenge you as we go through this journey, this this upcoming month, that we would recognize that we can be great
0: influences for Jesus Christ. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997, and once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. This question comes from 1 Corinthians
1: 7, 36 to 38, which I will read. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, If she should be of full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin to let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has the authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her her in marriage will do better." The question is, who is the man and his virgin? What is the situation Paul is referring to? There are three main interpretations of the situation referred to in verses 36 to 38. Interpretation one, the man is the virgin's husband. According to this view, the couple had entered into a spiritual marriage and were living in sexual abstinence. Interpretation number two, the man is betrothed to the virgin. According to this view, the couple had agreed to remain single and celibate, but now had a change of heart. Interpretation three, the man is the virgin's father or guardian. According to this view, the father had wanted to keep his daughter a virgin, but Paul says that he should let her marry if she shows no inclination toward living a life of celibacy. Whatever the precise situation being referred to, Paul grants permission for the virgin to marry in verse 36, but affirms his own preference for celibacy, verses 37 and 38. The question comes from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8, which reads, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day was Paul in error when he said that 23,000 people died when you compare it with numbers chapter 25 verse 9 here's the answer some have linked Paul's 23,000 with the 3,000 who died in Exodus 32 verse 28 but a study of 1 Corinthians 10:5 to 10 indicates that Paul drew all his illustrations from his This text from the book of Numbers, there is a text in Numbers 25 verse 9 that records how 24,000 people died as a result of God's judgment. This figure, I suggest, records the total of those who died, including the leaders, apparently numbering 1,000, who were executed according to Numbers 25 verse 4. Paul's figure of 23,000 refers only to those who perished in the plague. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, the mover, O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished by the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit. Who made me to differ but thee? For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me, or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. Oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner." such high advancement be for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. infinite wisdom casts the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell, but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, but in heaven... Both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing, and may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself. Wean me from sin. Mortify me to this world, and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across
0: this stormy sea. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Today, our worship service begins at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located at 62 Collins Avenue. We invite you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. All write us at P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.